And y'all thought you got rid of me. Am I on? Let me see. Did I turn myself off? Testing. One, two, three. Test. Hey, am I coming? Did, that's me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't realize guns were allowed in the sound booth. What, what, what's up with that? Really? Anyway. Okay, I'm going to get in trouble. Have you had a blessed day so far? Did you enjoy baptism? Absolutely, absolutely. Anytime we can share intimacy with Christ, as we were talking about relationships a moment ago, I'm telling you, it's special. It's special. We meet with God in powerful ways. We just don't realize it. You know, and I want to be careful how I say this, because I know that there are people that because of medical conditions and things like that, they can't be in God's house. I know that. There's some of them that uh, it isn't just COVID. If they got exposed to something, uh, even the common cold, it could be bad on them, okay? But for those that can, being in the house of God, there is an unction, the Bible says, a, a binding together of our spirits with God's spirit that occurs in corporate worship that you don't see anywhere else. Whenever God's children are together, God is moving in powerful, powerful ways. And I'm grateful to have you here, and I'm also grateful for everyone that's watching. So today, if you will, and you have your Bibles, and you would please turn with me, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians chapter 3. The title of today's message is Press Forward. Sounded like a good title. You know, you, you get a lot of ground that you can cover with that, but you'll see exactly where we're going in just a moment. Father God, in the name above every name, Father, please bless this time together. Please speak to us. Please transform and change us. Please, God, reveal to us that which you want us to know today. May Jesus Christ, above all things, be glorified. May we hear you, and God, may we grow, and God, may we shine for you and your kingdom through what is shared here today. In Jesus, Jesus, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Whenever we talk about life, this life that we're going through, Life really, young, and maybe sometimes, you know, we say, well, when you're younger, it's easier. And I guess to an extent, and at least on a certain level, maybe life is. But, you know, even young people today have it very, very tough. Wherever you might find yourself in life, you're going to find things that are tough, difficult. Some things that we find in our life that are difficult are not just circumstances, and they're not just the outside world, though the world will oppress, though the world seeks its own, and the world uh, tries to advance its own. But some things that happen to us in our lives come because of temptation. They come because of testing in our lives. They come as a drawing away of us from God, and we don't intend to be drawn away, but the fact is, is as we look and as we are exposed to certain things, 
Sometimes we are weak. Sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we just flat out blow it. But for whatever reason, we choose to move away from God. Now, in moving away from God, one might think in their heart and say, well, we've moved away from God and therefore God does not love us like he once did. And my friends, that is a lie. The Bible says God shows his love toward us and yet while we were still sinners, that is without God, fallen, broken, hopeless for that matter, bound for hell for that matter, God shows his love for us because he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. So even whenever we did not know him, even whenever we were strangers from God, God still loves us. He still reaches out to us. And my point that I'm trying to make in that is if God, even then, was reaching out to us, wanting us to know his son Jesus Christ, wanting us to receive the grace that comes and the eternal life that comes through him while we were lost, how much more whenever we are saved how much more whenever, and I know saved is a buzz term. You know, everybody, we talk about church, we're saved, we're saved. The term saved means is that we're saved from hell. We're saved from a life of bondage and sin. And we're transformed into the kingdom of God's son of liberty, life, peace, hope, grace, and whatever other good thing you want to say about it. But life is tough. And sometimes we wonder through our failures, how does God feel about me? Now, make no mistake, God does not like sin because it isn't nitpicky like some of us like to talk about sin where, you know, God looks down and he says, ooh, well, you sin and ooh, you sin here and ooh, you sin there. No. God looks at sin this way. Sin is that which is trying to destroy you. The enemy coming along and putting these traps, snares, these pitfalls in your way for the sole purpose of dragging you down. If you are a Christian, for the purpose of making you stagnant, making your life almost paralyzed because of the things that you've gotten involved in and the things that you have exposed yourself to, whether they be... um, journeying outside the bounds of what God has commanded for you, whether it be addictions, whether it be a lust, pride, whatever it may be. But God does not throw you away just because you have failures. Jesus did not come for perfected people. God does not like sin because he sees what it does to you. He sees how it destroys. He knows that it devours. He knows that sin does not stay dormant or by itself. Sin is very much like one of the most fertile seeds that you can imagine. Uh, I'll take it this way. I won't say a plant. It's a weed. But you throw it in the ground, and that thing will start growing. And I'm telling you this, unless you wage war on it, that weed will continue to try to grow That's the reason why God says stay out of it in the first place so that you don't have to deal with the seed. You don't have to deal with the sin, but we do. 
And whenever we allow this sin into our life, it begins to take root. And the next thing you know, you're in bondage. And things begin to affect our lives in such a way. And, and, and I'll tell you this. It's, it's family life. What about your relationship with your spouse? Because sin has come into your relationship with your, with your spouse. It can be this. People often say, well, it's adultery or, you know, some other thing has come into their marriage like that of a sexual nature. Uh, yeah, it could be. But it can be other things. It can be neglect. It can be things, uh, just petty things, you know. You just don't want to put up with that anymore. Or you just look at that person and they don't trip your trigger like they once did. And therefore, you have relegated that person to basically a roommate. And people, that is not a healthy marriage. That is not what marriage was intended to be. Marriage was intended to be a blessing not only for you, but for the world. But the point is, without pressing that anymore, is that we get derailed. So many things can come in. And in our failure, God is not done with us. If God was done with us, if we sinned and God says, okay, you know, the first time you sin, I'm just going to kick you to the curb, there would be no church. There is no one in this room after having been saved by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that has not blown it at some point. And you know why that is? It's because you're learning to grow in holiness. You are spiritual babes or spiritual babies whenever you come to Christ. And you are learning to mature in the faith. And he is beginning to work with you and grow you into the man or woman of God that he desires for you to be. But no one comes into his kingdom having sin, life, everything about it licked. Show me one person in the Bible that had that. As a matter of fact, you will see that some of these great names in the Bible went through some of the darkest and roughest times in their lives. Some of them will flat out lie to try to save their skin. Well, wasn't God with them? Didn't God promise to protect them? Absolutely. But people, they were learning who God was. And I've got news for you. You are learning who God is. Now, many of you may have grown with the Lord. You... uh maybe are mature Christians in here and you come through some things. But you know what I found out? Here's a good barometer for you to know whether or not you have spiritual maturity. You ready? How do you look at the other people who struggle? If you look down your noses at somebody who is struggling spiritually, you look down your nose at them and you're just like, well, they just don't, they don't have it. They don't have it like me. You don't have spiritual maturity. Let me say it again, and let me say it boldly. You do not have spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity would look at that person and try to lift them up, to encourage them, to bring them out. Spiritual maturity would love them and sit down and talk and try to understand so that you might help them see, hey, look where I came from. They say, you know, one of the things that I probably shouldn't call the name on this one. Probably shouldn't, but I believe it was a great prophet, Eric Clapton. Uh, any of y'all familiar with Eric Clapton? Everybody knows he's not a prophet, right? He's been known to play a guitar at least twice. But Eric Clapton, you know, used to have a horrible addiction to drugs. Horrible, horrible addiction to drugs. Wrote a few songs about it. And then later in life, realizing that this was eating his life apart, he started talking to people and trying to help them as best he could. 
And a fellow comes up to him one day after he's speaking, and he told him, he said, I want you to know I hate you. You know, it sounds like a real warm greeting there for somebody to just walk up to you and say, hey, I hate you. But no, he came to him, he said, I hate you. And, and he looked at him and he said, why? Why do you hate me? He said, because you have taken away every excuse I have for laying in the pit that I'm in. You've taken away every excuse that I have for just remaining in the pit that I'm in. Because he looked at him and he told him, he said, you can be free. The person couldn't look at him and say, well, well Mr. Clapton, you don't know. You don't know what I go through. You don't know my addictions. You don't know how long I've been doing this. And he looked at him and said, yes, I do. And your whole thing of just staying in a pity party all the time isn't fixing you. And he told him that there was freedom. And he told him that you can get clean. Well, let me tell you this, people. God loves you. And he understands, believe you me, he understands your struggles. Like I said a moment ago, if God's going to kick you to the curb the first time you sin or because you've got things that you struggle with, none of us would be here. But I will tell you this, I am striving not to earn God's love. By the way, that's something that you need to understand. You can't earn God's love. God loves you already. You're his creation. I can't earn his love, but what I am is I'm striving to say thank you. That's what I'm doing. I'm striving to in some way look up at him and say, I love you, Father. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you that you are better than I am. Thank you, Lord, for giving your son to die for my sins and to die in my place. That's why I do what I do. I do it because God has shown a love in my heart and I cannot respond any other way. You say, well, Shane, couldn't you turn to sin? I'm sure I could. But at this point in my life, I'd almost have to fight to. Because I'm telling you this, I have seen, as the song says, His grace really is amazing. It really is amazing. And saints, He does. There's two things that you need to understand about God. Now, He is holy and He is just. Make no mistake about that. I will tell you that those that stand in rebellion to God, or it's not compulsory heaven for everybody. In other words, I can live like I want to live. I can do like I want to do. I can spit in God's eye. I can destroy my neighbor. I can do whatever I want to do. And we're all just going to go to heaven anyway because after all, I'm better than somebody down the road. No, 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 no. And no. I'd make sure I covered that. It's only one way. People look at me and, boy, everybody gets, you know, you get polarized. Opposite. You say there's only one way to heaven. Everybody's like, how can you say that? Obviously, everybody in every faith has a way to heaven. No, that's not what it says. And nor do they believe that too. The way to heaven is Jesus Christ, and that way came because Jesus Christ died in our place. And he is the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. But the good news is, is that he offers it to everybody. I don't care if you an Eskimo, you from Inner Mongolia, okay? It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to him. He loves you all the same. And his love is offered to everyone. To those in the most horrible, binding sin that you can imagine, 
people that have done things that you would imagine in your heart are unforgivable, they are not. They are not too big for God. And I've got news for you. If everybody were to stand up today and give their real testimony, we talked about this too, but I'm going to tell you right now. You got up one by one, and you had to give your real testimony. Let's say Jesus was standing there, and he said, okay, tell everybody what I really saved you from. You know, the one that you can't tell everybody because they wouldn't love you anymore. They wouldn't hang around with you anymore. They wouldn't want anything to do with you anymore. Because they were like, ooh, you've done all that? Don't worry about it. They've done it too. We need to stop pointing fingers and start looking up. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul is going to be talking about his life in this respect. Paul has learned. Paul was living a life that he thought was very, very spiritual, that he was right on target with God. He thought his life was bringing the greatest glory to God. As a matter of fact, Paul had come under the conviction that these Christians, these people of Jesus Christ, or as they became known later, people of the way. He had come under the conviction that these people were, were blasphemers, that they were perverting the truth. And so he dedicated his life to eradicating Christianity from the face of the earth. He was doing everything he could to get rid of people that belonged to Jesus, and he wanted to wipe Christ's name off this planet. The only problem is in his zealousness, Paul could not be more wrong. I don't know about you in your life, but I can tell you in my life, I have been charging toward a goal before. I have been pursuing things in my life, and that was not what God wanted for my life. There were things that I wanted. There were things, I'm just being honest with you, I wanted to experience, I wanted to taste, I wanted to go full way into them. And I could make all kinds of excuses for why it was okay to do this because after all, I was freeing Christ. But the problem was is that I was not surrendered to Christ. I was following a doctrine and not Jesus. Listen to that again. Do you know that this book can be twisted to say a lot of different things? You do know that. And you do understand that the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's why when people say, just listen to your heart. I hear people saying that. I start cringing in the corner. Your heart will lie to you. I've told myself many times, well, this isn't sin necessarily. And, you know, I can still be a good person. And God would look at me and he'd say, is that really what you want to offer me? You go back to the Garden of Eden. You go back to the sacrifices that were offered to God between Cain and Abel. And God spoke to my heart. He said, do you really want to give me Cain's offering? Is that what you want to give me? Do you just want to give me something that looks spiritual? Do you want to take something that's really second best? I'll give you an example. How many of you have pets? You ever had a smelly pet? Okay. 
Have you ever tried one time, you know, because you didn't have time to bathe them, you get like some sweet, smelly, goody cologne that you can spray on the dog and you just kind of hit them real good with it? How many of you have done it? Thank you. Okay. The rest of you, I'll see you at the altar. Um, but here's the deal. It don't matter. It might cover it a little bit, but you still got a smelly animal. That's just the way it is. I'm just grateful that one of my dogs, whenever he smells, he smells like nachos, and I like nachos. <laughs> he gets on my lap every time he does, and I get hungry. But here's the deal. You could take your sacrifice, which is your second best or your third best or whatever it is, and you can try to give it to God, and you can spray some smelly goody on there. You can spray paint on it to make it look gold. But whenever you offer it to him, the problem is, is you are still not offering him your heart. You are offering him second best. You're offering stuff that you don't want. Here, here's one that might hurt for you. Here's another example for you. Have you ever had somebody say, we're going to take up clothing and toys for children for Christmas to be able to do this? And then you get a box and you open up that box and you, I don't know what that green stuff is that's all gooey all over these toys, but it's there. Half of them don't have head, eyes, or anything else. You know what you did? You just brought your garbage to church. What you did, you went in there and you grabbed everything that your children wouldn't want. You threw it in a bag. It hasn't been cleaned. I'm scared to touch it. And you want me to give that to somebody else. Now, there's some people, they do really well. You know, there might be a little scuff here, but the toys are beautiful. But my thing is this. Is that what we want to do for God? Is that what we want to do to our fellow man? I got news for you. My kids have more than what they need. And it never hurts every year to look at them and say, pick out a few toys that you don't play with anymore or pick out some things that you don't. And we're going to give them to somebody else. Not because we're super holy but because my kids are the only people in the house that have things. See, between me and mama, we can't have stuff. <laughs> it's okay, baby. We, we're going to have a saltine cracker. Would you like a pizza? <laughs> Y'all can sit there and laugh. You know it's true. Okay, anyway. Offering our best to God, not second best. So Paul says this. Dealing with people who were so concerned with the law. They found their holiness. They found their, what they believed God would be God's acceptance in the law. Paul says this, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now listen to this next section. He says, for to me to write the same things to you again is not tedious, but for you it is safe. What is he saying there? He said, I've already told you this stuff. And he says, it's okay. It's not tedious for me to put you in remembrance that you're blowing it. He says, but it is safe because you need to know this. And then he goes on. He says, beware of dogs. What does he mean by that? You're going to see in just a moment who he's talking about. Dogs are people that lie to you. That tell you it's okay to live a different way. To not serve Jesus, or if you're going to serve Jesus, to throw him trinkets. People that take more pleasure in the flesh or in circumcision, 
is what he's going to be talking about among the Jews because if you were circumcised, you were a Jew's Jew, right? But he said, you beware of these dogs. Beware of these evildoers. Beware of the mutilation. That's what he was talking about because what people were saying is if you are not circumcised, then you, don't, you can't go to heaven. You can't belong to Jesus. And Paul said, hogwash. Paul said, it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. And we're Gentiles. Plus. But these people were saying, no, unless you obey all the laws of Moses and you're circumcised, you can't be saved. And Paul said, there has never been anybody who could perfectly keep the law of Moses. The law of Moses was meant to show us that we do fail and it was meant to bring us on to our knees so that we would come to God and say, God, I need your help. I can't do this. And so you want to ask people to live that which you nor your fathers could live. It pointed us to righteousness, and we strive for that righteousness, but they had to offer sacrifices every year on the Day of Atonement because we couldn't. And what we could not do because our flesh was weak, because we are sinful creatures, God did by sending his Son, like man, wrapped up in flesh, and in the flesh, he condemned sin on the cross so that we might be the righteousness of God. We might receive Christ's righteousness, the perfect dying for the sinner. And in how we've talked about this several times, our sin being placed on him and his righteousness given to us were made right because of him. So he says, beware of this mutilation that they're teaching. For we are the circumcision. In other words, what kind of circumcision is it that God is looking for? Well, it's the circumcision of the heart, Paul would say. But look, we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and we do not have any confidence in the flesh. In other words, it's not going to be my good deeds that are getting me there. It's going to be Jesus. We do good deeds out of gratefulness and out of love, but it's not that we trust in our flesh. He said, though I also might have a reason to have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that they have confidence in their flesh, in other words, he's going to tell them right now, he said, if you do want to boast about the flesh, if you want to say that you have confidence in the flesh, in other words, that you're an Israelite and that you've lived all these things, Paul said, let me tell you right now, if you want to boast for a minute, he says, I the more. Verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the stock of Israel, even the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, and concerning righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. So if you want to talk about somebody who lived what you're trying to live, he said, I was your poster child. I did everything that I was supposed to do. Now, this is the interesting thing about Paul. When you go back and you read it, Paul will tell you, as far as the outward appearance goes, he said, I was about as holy as you could get. He said, but there was a problem because in my heart of hearts, I wasn't righteous. My problem was is that I was literally fighting the very God and Savior that I thought that I was defending. You remember it's Paul's conversion. Whenever there was a light that shone around him from heaven, it says he falls off his, I always say falls off his towers. But whenever he fell off, what was said? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he stops for a minute and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, who are you, Lord? 
He said, I am Jesus. That's the one you're persecuting. And of course, his whole world was turned upside down. And even the Lord said, you know, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And what he was talking about is those, King James, I believe, says goads. But what it is, it was a sharp stick. They'd move those animals along. You kick those sticks, it hurt you. It didn't hurt the man that was doing it. And what he was telling us, he said, Paul, you're kicking against that which you feel in you is pushing you toward righteousness. You don't want to go that way. You think you've got it all figured out. So Saul, who later became Paul, realized that it was Jesus. Was it Jesus plus the law? Was it Jesus plus doing anything else? He learned that it was Jesus. So, verse 7, it says, now catch this. But what things were gained to me, in other words, these things that I've just been talking about, the things that would have made me you know, Mr. Israel, Mr. Hebrew, by doing all these things, all these things that were gained to me, these things I have counted as a loss for Christ. I've given them up. I do not need the supports of the world or the crutches of sin to make me what I need to be. I need the spirit of the living God. That's what I need. I need Jesus Christ living in me. I need to be in the vine. I need his life flowing through me. I don't need these other things. How many times have you seen these sports heroes on TV or you've seen these other people that were CEOs of company and whenever it came down to it, you see them have this conversion experience and you look at them and you say, well, you've got everything. And with tears in their eyes, they look at you and say, no, no, I have a lot of stuff but I didn't have what mattered. My life was empty. You can have everything this world has to offer, and and at the same time, you can have an empty soul. You can have no hope that is within you. It feels like, hey, I have all this stuff, and I'm always reaching out for more and more and more, but like Ecclesiastes, every time I reach out, it's just like sand sifting through my fingertips. I never am able to lay hold of that, which I think will make me whole on the inside. I can't do it. And yet, explain this one to me, folks. Find me somebody who does not even seem to have a little of anything. Think about it. He's he's standing there, and he's got nothing. He's got a tent on his back. He's struggling to make it. And a smile on his face and joy in his heart. Don't assume every person that uh, is homeless is evil or lost. I've met a few of them that were absolutely in love with Jesus and shared everything they had. How can a man that has, I'm talking about this as far as the world goes, and he acts like he owns this place. He acts like all of it belongs to him. Well, you want to know a truth and a reality? It is his. If he's a Christian, it is his. All of this. They'll inherit the earth. All right. For what things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss. Yet indeed I also count all things, all things for loss, for the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ. The idea is I would gladly lose, Paul is saying, everything. 
I count it all loss, the things of this world, just so I can have the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, speaking of the world. And I count them all as rubbish, garbage, refuse. In other words, I don't even hold them as things that I, I would like to have back. They can go. Get rid of them. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. That is the key. I want to be found in Christ. That's what I want. And I'm going to tell you at the beginning, I talked about life getting derailed. I talked about struggles. I've, I've talked about, you know, all these things that want to fight against us. There are so many temptations in the world today that are facing your life. Our concerns with who we will be, what we will earn, what's the next turn, what's the next this, that, or the other, the next vacation, whatever it's going to be. And vacations are wonderful. And it's good, and I hope you have many of them. But what I'm saying is whenever you cannot be happy, when you cannot be content unless you are constantly reaching for something, I've got to have more, I've got to have more, I've got to have this, I've got to have that, I need all these things, then I can be happy. You know, after I purchase this or after we finally have that, then I can be happy. You're not going to be happy. Do you want to know one of the most miserable days of your life and one of the days that many sports folks have even considered complaining, uh, co- excuse me, committing suicide was the day they got what they really wanted. They sat down and said, boy, if I win the Super Bowl, then I will have had everything I've ever wanted in life. And there has been more than one that sat down right after that and sat there and looked at that ring on their hand and thought about dying. And you say, why is it that getting the one thing that they really, really wanted brought the greatest despair in their life? Because here's the deal. You got it. What now? Where do you go? There's, I mean, once you have figured out the apex in your life of what you want, now you've climbed the mountain, you're there, you're sitting on the top. There's no place else to go but down. But let me ask you this. What about Jesus? Oh, goodness gracious, what time is it? Oh, that's okay. Y'all do know we stop at uh, 1230, right? <laughs> Somebody in here with a little wit said, I'm stopping in five minutes. Enjoy, Pastor. Anyway, but think about this. If my joy is not in stuff or things or a particular goal in this world, if my joy is in Jesus Christ, if he is my apex, you can't exhaust Jesus. He is ever ever more wonderful. He is ever greater. And the truth is, is if that is your life, you can't ever, for all eternity, you'll never be able to go through all of Jesus. He's God. And that's where I want my life to be, hidden in him. Okay, let me finish up. That I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. In other words, I don't want to come before Jesus one day and say, well, Jesus, you know what? I've been such a wonderful person on the earth. You ought to let me in heaven. You ought to be, as a matter of fact, you ought to be honored to have me in heaven. Well, that's arrogant, isn't it? To walk up there and say, you can close that book right now, St. Peter. Uh, it's me. I'm going to be running the show here in just a minute. That's pretty tough, isn't it? 
But he says, not with my own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now catch this. That I may know him. That's what he wants. I want to know Jesus Christ. So I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Now everybody wants that. Everybody wants that aspect of, I want to know the power of God. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to live forever. I want all that good stuff. But nobody wants to identify with Christ. See, they want to look at Christ and say, Christ, gimme, 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 bless me, bless me, bless me. But nobody wants to say, hey, Jesus, can I go with you and be a blessing to somebody else? Lord, bless my socks off. Lord, give me all of this kind of stuff. And you know what? I'll be a pretty good boy. Lord, I'll pray every once in a while. I'll go to church. Listen, that's not what it's about. God's not interested in a little bit of you. God's not interested in a secondary sacrifice. God's not interested in us just giving him a little bit of our time, paying him some lip service, and then just going on about our lives. God loves you. If you are satisfied with that life, just hear me out. If you're satisfied with that life, living that to God, how many of you would be satisfied if that was your children responding to you? How many of you would like your children to come to you every single day and say, gimme, 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 bless me, bless me, bless me, gimme all that? Well, son, I need some help cutting the grass. Well, <laughs> that's on you. Well, son, we, we've uh, been talking, and we need to help such and such down the street. We've got a family, and this family's been struggling a lot lately, and we're going we're gonna to help take care of them both in a financial way, and we're going to help rebuild and do some things. Well, y'all have fun doing it. But make sure that I've got what I'll need. Make sure that I've got all of my blessings. Make sure that I'm just absolutely loaded up. And you know what? If I can make it, maybe I'll come to supper. By the way, before I make that commitment, what are y'all having for supper? Because I was thinking I wanted sushi. We treat God that way, but we don't want our children to treat us that way. Have you ever thought that there's kind of a reason why we have this familial relationship? It's what God wants. God wants to love you, and he wants you to love him. God wants to be sincere with you and share his heart with you, which is the great blessing. And he wants you to do the same, to share your heart with him. So many people will not let God into their heart. They don't let him in. They want all from him, nothing from me. And God does not want that. God wants you. If you knew how much joy you could bring to God's heart just by spending time with him and loving him and being sincere with him, people, we'd be praying all the time. God still speaks. But if you don't speak to him, it's hard to hear his voice. Let me finish up. But anyway, everybody wants a blessing that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But how about this? And the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to, if, if, if Christ is going to be persecuted, 
I want to be persecuted too. Not the sense that, woo, I get to be persecuted, but I am willing to go where Christ goes, even if that means persecution. So how about this? And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now people get in there, woo, what's he talking about? What he's saying is that I don't sit here and presume upon God that God's just going to grant me something carte blanche. Either I love his son, either I serve his son, or I don't. Now, I'm not trying to make be cutthroat here in the sense to say, if you're not perfect or you're not doing this and you're not doing that, that you don't love God. I know you love God. You love God. The message is sent because God wants to love you more. He wants to experience you more. He wants to commune with you more. He wants to give you more of that relationship. And finally, Paul said this. Verse 12, not that I have already attained all of these things. Paul says, I'm still learning. I'm still growing, like we were talking about before. Not that I've already attained or that I'm already perfected. I've already arrived. He says, but what is it? I'm pressing on. I keep pressing forward, people. I'm pressing forward. People, life Sometimes it's going to deliver you a blow, and you can either stop there, you can throw up your hands, you can give up, you can fail, and then you come to the place where I just, God doesn't love me, and I'm just not going on, and I'm out. Really? The Bible says, no one who has put their hand to the plow and turned back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's a tough statement to say, to share and to say, but what it's saying is, put your hand on the plow. And don't you dare let go. Don't think that you're the only one that got hit that hard. Your brethren that are all around you have been hit too. Hang in there. He said, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. Christ laid his hands on Paul that he might show him his mercy, might show him his grace, that he might preach, that he might share the kingdom that people may come to Christ. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. You know, I haven't finished it, but one thing I do, and please, please hear this. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Repent, let go, move on. Repent, let them go. And move on. Forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I got to stop for time's sake. Here's what we're going to do the worship team's coming. Now, now is a time more than ever, saints, that the church has got to stand up. I didn't preach several things that I had wanted to say, but here's the problem. I don't get to say what I want to say. I have to say what I believe God has given me to say, but in looking over the world and seeing in this last year what has happened in the church, it has absolutely devastated me. And I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the church universal. 
I'm talking about denominations with thousands and thousands of people in their congregations which should be using what God has given them to change the world. And yet you see so many times abuses. People who have been physically, emotionally, and spiritually abused. And as a pastor, I look around and I, and I, and I say, where is the church? Where is the church? Today, it seems so hard to get people to come through the doors, you know, get them in the body. And the fact is, is if we don't start pulling together, and I'm talking about the church universal, there's a very, very wicked wave that is out there that is just absolutely toppling a lot of places. You say, well, is the enemy going to take down the church? Never. Church will be here whenever Jesus Christ returns. His bride will be here waiting for him. But there's a lot of pain that we could avoid. We would make sure that Jesus was number one. We really could. Today, if God is dealing with your, your heart, I would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. What will happen in just a moment is they will be singing and the altars will be open. That's the area right down front here. If you would like special prayer while the music is playing, don't worry about what everybody's thinking, saying, or doing. This is Jesus' time, so don't, don't worry about what other people think. If you feel like you need special prayer for whatever reason, as they're playing, please step out and walk down here, and I'll be happy to pray with you. If I'm praying with somebody else, there'll be somebody else up here to pray with you. If you just want to come down here and pray and be by yourself, okay, there's room to my right, there's room to my left, all the way to the wall. You can stand, kneel, or even sit on the front row if your knees will not allow you to. If you don't know Jesus or if you're struggling in, with your relationship with Jesus, got a question, please do not walk out of here without him. Please respond as God speaks to you. Amen? You'd stand. Take up the cross and follow me. I am master's God bless you. Thank you for being here today. I know today was a little toughy, a little different than what we've done before, but I want to encourage you, saints. Let your light shine. Never miss an opportunity to do good, and don't let anything come between you and Jesus. Amen? Pray for those that were baptized. We'll have them some uh, certificates here soon. And uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your people. Wash over your people. Father, please, I pray that you would move and speak in their hearts in very, very deep ways and bring them to you. Please forgive them. Please forgive me of my sins. And Father, I pray 
of the power that so wonderfully works by your Holy Spirit, that it will work in them. We bless them, and God keep them in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Choir members, please be in the choir room at 530.